Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Lucas McCann. And Lucas is Chief Scientific Officer at CanDelta, which is a company out of Canada. We're going to talk a little bit about cannabis. We're going to talk about regulation. We're going to talk about the Canadian market. With that, Lucas, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be here. Yeah. So let's start with just kind of uh, getting to know you a little bit and your background, how you got into cannabis. What was your professional background? What was the uh, your area of study and how did you get into the cannabis space? Yeah, I, I guess the way I got in was pretty backwards and opportunity. So just a bit of a preface to that. My background's in organic chemistry. I did a lot of natural product synthesis playing around the lab for, for quite a bit of my life through through graduate school. Not really sure where I was going to go or how that was going to end up for me later on. I just knew that I didn't want to become a professor and just sort of stuck to it. Right out of, right out of school, I ended up getting a job at, at Health Canada, which is like the FDA. It's Canada's way of uh, protecting the safety of Canadians from you know anything from uh, drugs, uh, illicit substances seized at the border to uh, natural health products available on the shelf. And that opened up a, a door very wide open for me in, into this space. And I didn't really know it at the time, but they became or were at the time actually the regulating body for, for the regulations surrounding medical cannabis. 
So just a brief history on that. Yeah. Why don't you give us a, a rundown of the Canadian cannabis market for those people yeah. that, that don't know? Yeah, for sure. So for those that don't know, medical marijuana was called at the time, or now medical cannabis was legal in Canada in 2001. What that allowed people to do was to have legal home grows or to allow uh, your, your friend or your neighbor or your colleague to, to grow uh, cannabis for you in, in their home and then, uh, and then provide that to you for the purposes of you know, treating some kind of ailment that maybe uh, wasn't treatable with, with, with other measures. Um, that came after a... Uh, it was a class action lawsuit against uh, the federal government for restricting um, medicine to, to folks that, uh, that needed that. And then uh, we started to open up the doors uh, in terms of the regulations uh, even more in, in 2013 by allowing other producers or, or private companies to come into the space under very, very strict regulated conditions. Okay. And again, produce cannabis for those medical patients. Got it. So this is a purely medical and it sounds like up until the, the more recent ones, I mean, it was really home grows. I mean, people could grow and it was probably limited by number of plants or something like that. You had some kind of regulation. That's right. So, we, you know, we saw a few iterations of this, but it was always surrounding the medical market. And then up until recently, adult use and recreational use was illegal until uh, the 17th of October of 2018. They've opened up the doors with the new set of regulations called the Cannabis Act. And now if you uh, don't have a prescription, you can still get your hands on uh, on cannabis by going to a retail store or ordering through your authorized uh, provincial body that, uh, that vends cannabis online. So you can get cannabis in the mail now. Yeah. And why don't you kind of break down a little bit for us? Uh, you know, in the U.S., we have a, you know, this funny kind of federal state system. You've got this, you know, federal and provincial system. So, so it's now federally legal, but how does that break down in terms of the actual provinces and then the actual jurisdiction or you know you know counties and things like that? How do how do they actually implement cannabis law? Yeah, great. So, I mean, in in terms of uh, your your ability to, to be able to possess, I mean, that's a, a federal level, so you're allowed to carry about 30 grams, which is probably more than you would need. At, uh, you that's know, a lot. In any, in any <laughs> it's a substantial amount. And then with the new sets of regulations as well, they've opened it up for for home growers, so anyone can now grow four plants per household. So that means if you don't want to buy the uh, the so-called government uh, uh-huh. stuff, you can uh, you can be growing your own using whatever method you think is best. Got it. Wherever you are in Canada. So this is uh, regardless of the provincial law or local law, you have the right as a Canadian citizen to have four plants or something like that in your in your domicile. <laughs> now, there are some other things that are coming into play with that. For example, okay. if you're living in a condo, um, yeah. your landlord can pass a law that says that, uh, you know, this isn't going to happen here. And uh, we're, we're still looking at what that looks like in terms of people that are, you know, medical patients uh, looking to access their medicine that way or even consume it as well because there's some sort of, I guess, uh, discrepancies as to, you know, what people that are, are, you know, in a landlord situation want and what people that are, um, you know, actually having to use this stuff are, are, are looking to do as well. So there's some discrepancies there. What the provinces do, so, you know, we our, our states more yeah. or less have different rules surrounding the retail stores. So where you would go just to buy right. the adult use. Yeah. And that's, that's where all the discrepancies sort of happen at, the, at that level as well. So I was at Health Canada. You know, I, I saw this uh, This was going to be something that was going to move into the private industry. So great opportunity. And with somebody else that was actually in the medical cannabis program that was an inspector checking the facilities, making sure that they were compliant, they were following the regs, uh, we decided to uh, to jump ship from Health Canada and uh, move into the private world because, you know, we were getting asked questions anyway. People were, were coming to us and asking us as sort of subject matter experts, at least in the regulatory field. And we thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to, to start our own business and uh, and move away from uh, from, the, from the government. Yeah, good good move. I've, I've spoken to uh, several people in this industry now that have coming out of either research or government or, you know, policy folks that have uh, built up businesses around around that expertise, and in fact, I think it's one of the it's probably the faster growing segment of the cannabis industry is <laughs> the ancillary you know services and products and stuff around it, not just the the core kind of grow chain pro- stuff. So so, and when did you set up shop? How long ago? 
So it's been over a year now. Um, okay. We've been incorporated since since last March, uh, but we were working well before that. You know, what started off as favors grew into you know having to get <laughs> incorporation a business name and uh, you know leaving the the full time gigs to to really pursue this. And you know now's the time because you know in five years there won't be a demand for this. Yeah. But now because uh, you know cannabis is pretty pretty strictly regulated in Canada, people don't really necessarily know uh, how to sort of navigate that regulation if they want to start a small business. Yeah. So with, with the new set of regulations, they added this uh, this. New type of license type that you can get called a like a micro grow license or a micro cultivation. Okay, and that allows people that want to get into like a craft growing situation, the, them sort of the the space to enter that way. They don't have all necessarily the same security requirements for for cameras, and there are a lot of security requirements for these big producers. They essentially have to monitor every square inch of the exterior, and in some cases, you know, every doorway in, in inside the facility. And that's 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 a pretty costly investment. But with this new micro grow license, it's allowing those those new craft growers to come in and, and claim their part of the space as well. Now, was that, and I guess, how did that come about? I mean, is there a history with the regulation of, was that always there? Was that kind of, because of the previous regulation, they didn't want to kind of knock out the, you know, the individual grower? Why have this? There's a lot of great, uh, great reasons for it. I, I think probably the most uh, important one to consider is that they're allowing uh, people that were what we call legacy growers, you know, that have maybe 20, 30 years experience in the, in, in the cannabis cultivation space, yep. allowing them an opportunity to easily transition into a white market, right? So by opening up the doors, giving them a lower barrier to entry, less security requirements. They can easily get a space, make it compliant, and uh, and start growing and, uh, and and selling to those that want their, their recreational use cannabis. Yeah. And it's an interesting one because I think that, you know, part of the dynamics in this cannabis space is dealing with, you know, pre-legalization cannabis culture and cannabis business, you know, whether it's gray market, black market, you know, and it's one of the concerns of legislatures and policymakers is that, you know, not creating a situation where you're going to create a bunch of conflict or, or you're going to push that stuff even more underground, you know, part of the goal of this the legalization process is, you know, let, let's make it an above board industry that we can actually, you know, have some controls around, you know, whether it's health safety, um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, just from a taxation point of view, you know, having some kind of regulation and stuff. So makes sense. So uh, I guess what part of the market have you been focusing on or who's, who's your kind of ideal customer or core customer in terms of helping them with this navigating the regulation side? So we uh, service a wide range of folks in the space, anyone that's looking to be a startup, you know, that maybe doesn't even know what a cannabis plant looks like, but know that they want to get into the business. People that are already well-established licensed producers for cannabis that you know might already have their license, but maybe want to open up, open up a second site. So we get a lot of folks, uh, often they're, uh, they're friends with uh, colleagues that they've, they've found in their they're looking to get in usually the, the micro style licenses. That seems to be a very popular one right now because, uh, again, low, low barrier to entry to market uh, and the security requirements aren't too much. But I mean, I think something else that's very, very notable in this space now is what Health Canada has allowed uh, people to do entering the market is to bring in a one time influx of black market genetics or, or starting materials, oh, which yeah. is important because... Up until up until that point, where everything was being sourced from was from other legal markets, most notably that in uh, in Europe. So all these starting materials were coming over, and we we sort of almost erased all that all that work and. Uh, uh, genetic research that the, the the black market had done for creating new strains and uh, all these new genetic types. Yeah, but now with these new regs, you know, Health Canada is basically turning a blind eye to wherever you get your source from. Just you know, just do it one time, and we'll forgive you and allow you to to sort of 
translate all that material into the white market, which I think is uh, is really good for all those legacy growers. Yeah, and it's been an issue here in the United States. I know that there's always this kind of a questionable beginning part for a state when a state passes it. It's like, okay, well, where do you get the source seed? And everyone kind of just looks the other way. You know, it's not really written into the laws, but it's uh, you know, it has to happen. It's gotta it's gotta start somewhere. We're not uh, you know, we're not zapping uh, saline solutions to recreate life on a state by state level. Like you've got to start somewhere. So let's talk about the regulations a little bit. What area or, or what part of the kind of cultivation, processing, dispensing, retail part of the chain are you dealing with or are you dealing with the whole chain? Are you helping people with the whole process? Yeah, so we, we help with all the license types. So the federal ones have to do with the, the cultivation, the processing, the sales, you know, creating starting materials in a nursery. But then we've got the provincially regulated ones, which are the retail stores. So we help folks with, with all, all sets of them. The retails are sort of a very scaled down version of cultivation. And at this time, in, in Ontario, at least anyway, we don't have cultivation and retail happening on the same site. They're looking at opening up the, the doors to what's called a farm gate model, where, you know, maybe like a uh, what we call, you know, Niagara on the lake where it's, you know, vineyards where you go, you sort of see the facility that, uh, you know, the cannabis is grown in. And then, you know, you'd go to the retail shop and the gift shop at the end and purchase a few products to take home. That's still coming out. That, that hasn't quite uh, quite gotten there yet. Still uh, still to be seen. And, and, you know, very exciting what, what's coming out as well as the uh, the regulations surrounding edibles. So at this time, you know, edibles uh, aren't a legal market, but we're seeing a lot of interest there uh, for folks that want to basically cultivate, you know, process the oils and then take that oils and make things like like uh, cookies, gummies, uh, beverages, topical all that market. So we're, we're seeing a lot of interest in, in that area as well. Um, but and, you know, for anyone that's that's looking to do just a basic cultivation setup, you know, we assist with that. I myself, like I'm a chemist, so that's my strong suit. So, you know, lab setup is something I'm very passionate about. So those looking to do, you know, CO2 extractions or, you know, process uh, uh, process materials into different products, uh, that's something I, I, I love assisting with. But also on the retail side, we help there. Yeah. And so let's talk about the retail side a little bit, because I think that's that's certainly kind of a, an issue here in the U.S. or as, as you know, as this kind of plays out in the U.S., it's, it's an issue. But I think from a Canadian point of view, I mean, there's, and I'm curious how much you've borrowed from your alcohol side of things. I know I, I was a graduate of McGill. I spent a lot of time in Montreal and I, you know, we'd always go to the SAQ to get, uh, you know, to get our, our liquor. And I know the uh, Ontario has the beer store and some of these. So, so in right now for alcohol, I know for some of the provinces, the, the retail is controlled by the province, you know, li- literally by brand. Like you, you go to the provincial store to get your uh, product for the most part. Um, how are they approaching the cannabis thing? Kind of cannabis strategy, same approach? Uh, in a lot of provinces, yes. Uh, you know, for example, BC's got a mixture of public and private, but most of them are, are retail authorized dealers that are, uh, you know, that, that have the storefront, the brick and mortar store where you'd walk in and purchase. Uh, in almost all cases, you can buy online, which I think a lot of people are gravitating to, but there are some people that don't want to be tracked. So they want that, uh, that store where they can go and make cash transaction there as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The anonymity is kind of driving some of this stuff. Uh, so talk to me about the online purchases. So is this, uh, do you have to purchase through the province that you are in? Yeah, exactly. So you go to your, your provincial retailer. I mean, you you could theoretically visit any of the sites, but they'll only ship to uh, that, that specific province. Got it. So you just need to, your shipping address needs to be the one that the province that they're authorized in. Okay. Yeah. But if you're traveling, you can walk into any retail store, obviously just off the street and go and make a purchase that way. And, you know, you, you can fly with cannabis as well on your person. Uh, through all the airlines. You can pack it in your carry-on. You can 
throw it into that gray bin at security and, you know, security will just sort of look past it, which I think is a, a stark contrast to where we used to be with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, look past it. I mean, there's no, I mean, there's no reason to look at it now. Yeah. And obviously, you know, that's the challenge we're having here in the States is if we've got these state by state things, but you know, anything that's inter interstate or, you know, airline, anything like that, you know, you run into all the kind of complexities and, and challenges. So let's talk about the regulation side. So, you know, why, I guess, why have regulations? What is the goal for Health Canada in terms of creating these regulations and what are they trying to actually regulate? Well, Bruce, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, so Health Canada has got this mandate. I mean, mostly they're they're interested in uh, protecting the safety of Canadians, right? They yeah. want the products that are re released to be safe, you know, free of pesticides, heavy metals, and other contaminants that could hurt people because, well, recalls suck. You know, it, it's it's bad for the producers and it makes Health Canada look really, really bad. So that's probably one of the biggest ones. They're looking to prevent diversion into the black market as well or okay. having people grow black market cannabis and then infuse that into into the white market. So that's that's another huge concern. So that's why the security concerns are, are, are so serious surrounding that. So what Health Canada has done since the beginning is take taking an evidence-based approach to making these regulations. So there's a lot of consultation that's gone on, Co uh, consultation with uh, uh, with the public, you know, uh, schools, teachers, uh, parents, doctors, even children, you know, uh, First Nations community as well. Yeah. Uh, to, to get sort of a sense of, uh, on where they stand. And they're they're supporting a, a set of draft regulations, you know, putting those up again for consultation. And then, you know, taking that feedback from the, the general public, reiterating it, and then and then passing those regulations. And I suspect with any regulating body, the regulations are going to start very strict. I mean, right now you can't do any marketing or advertising. You can't have cannabis coming in, in flashy packaging with, with foil letters or anything beyond basically black cartoon, and white. Cartoon characters uh, yeah, <laughs> saying, yeah. hey, try me. <laughs> No more, uh, no more Joe ca uh, cannabis. I, I yeah. guess on on the front of your your, your pre rolls. So I mean that that's something that's that's been very very strict uh, in, in terms of the the branding space because you know how do you sell something that you can't advertise? You know that that's a that, that I think is a huge concern there. But you know we're going to see these things loosen up. I would suspect in 10, 20, 30 years it's going to be a very very different world. Definitely, you know they're they're easing. Canada in, into this market because this product still carries a, a serious stigma. You know, the, there's a lot of religious groups that are, that are very much opposed to this, that they don't want these retail stores opening up around them. Uh, in Ontario specifically, uh, they've even given uh, cities the chance to opt out of having retail stores yeah. uh, within them, which, you know, is not necessarily a great idea if you're looking to, to crack down on that, that black market. Yeah, double-edged sword. Yeah, I see that. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're keeping that in mind, but at the same time, uh, they're backing everything up with evidence. But, you know, having said that on the whole, Canada's behave very well. I mean, we haven't had a, uh, an influx of DUIs for folks uh, using cannabis. I think there was one time where it wasn't properly stored in a car uh, just in the last couple of weeks in the news and someone got a $200 ticket for that. But, you know, aside from that, we're not seeing a, a huge, uh, a huge influx of, of, uh, of people driving under yeah, the influx. People, are, people aren't basically. going crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're not going crazy. You know, they're not, they're not all of a sudden starting fights in the street. Yeah. Uh, you know, so in terms of that, we've been on pretty good behavior. So I think because of that, we're going to start to see the, the regulations loosen up a bit. Yeah. And so uh, as um, a business owner, as an entrepreneur or someone who's starting a cannabis business, how do I go about figuring out what regulations apply to me? Uh, how do I sort of interpret or understand the regulations? And then what is what is the kind of ongoing requirement from a regulatory process? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's that's great. I'm going to ongoing regulatory requirement. Okay, so I mean, the first <laughs> thing you have to do is uh, you have to know what you want to do. And, you know, a lot of people come in our doors and they're like, I want to cultivate. I want to open up a retail yeah. store. Oh, yeah, I, I want to do processing oils. And it's like, oh, hang on. What you what you just described is, you know, a multi-million dollar operation, <laughs> at least in terms of a regulatory perspective. Uh, so, you know, stick to one thing that you can do very, very well. That's honestly the best advice I can give you, especially if you've got a small team. So, you know, if you're a grower, you know, we like to let the growers grow. If you're someone that likes to process, that's a whole other science onto itself. 
So if that's not something that you're necessarily capable of doing today, you know, maybe don't go down that alley because it might be just wasted time and effort. So stick with what you know, and then surrounding each one of those activities, there are different rules and regulations. So, uh, you know, cultivating cannabis, that's something that that's that's easy to do in, in terms of regulatory stra- standpoint. It's very straightforward. But as soon as you want to take that cannabis and sell it to someone, well, now you've just sort of uh, opened up this chain of events now that, uh, you know, now you need this kind of license. Now you need these these kinds of staff here. You have to run this these kinds of tests on your product before releasing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, eventually the, the price tag and the timelines to be able to get those licenses and get to that point uh, have now increased. So, I mean, it, you have to really decide what's important for you, uh, I think, number one. Yeah. And so um, how, how is regulation enforced? I mean, what, give, give us a sense of is this mainly people are self-monitoring? I mean, do you have uh, agents that are running around, you know, doing site checks? What is this? What is the actual enforcement side of regulation look like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have a complaint about uh, something that you see, Health Canada has a, you know, a, a complaints line where they'll, they'll take feedback from Canadians on, uh, you know, something that might not uh, follow the regulations and will investigate that. They also have site inspectors as well. So they'll have folks that will literally just go show up, knock on a producer's door and say, you know what, we're going to spend the whole day today going through all your systems and making sure everything's in place. When that happens, people at that licensed producer site, they know what they're doing today. And that's responding to each one of the questions that the Health Canada site inspector will have. Okay. And they'll do things like, you know, show me uh, this day, this time, this camera, the security footage here. And it's got to match up to, you know, some other events. You know, you have to have a retention of like a year's worth of, of security footage. And this is all, you know, you know, 4K cameras that they're yeah. having. It's a huge amount of retention, but it's also got to be uh, accessible. Uh, all the record keeping has got to be able to be tracked. So they'll go, you know, find a box in the warehouse, you know, count the number of uh, uh, of containers in that box and make sure that lines up with what's in the records as well. So these site inspectors will, will go and do that. And if, if a producer slips up, they get what's called an observation. And well, observations are really bad. You know, you don't really want to have any of those. Yeah. So they do have boots on the ground going and knocking on doors, making sure that everything looks good and, and everything's being checked as well. And, you know, the uh, the provincial retailers also have auditors that will be visiting retail stores and making sure that they're not selling to anyone under the age of uh, uh, whatever the age of majority is in that province. Yeah. Or so they, so they're they're doing spot checking or they're doing some kind of uh, sampling of uh, of these locations to make sure that they're compliant. Exactly that. And the products that are going out are also being checked as well, right? Yeah. So tell me about that. So what, how are they actually checking product? So each each person that's going to be doing something kind of packaging, or there is a last step before that product goes and gets sold at a retail store. Okay. Uh, they'll need what's called a quality assurance person that, that understands how to read a certificate of analysis. So they'll go and they'll sample their product. And, you know, it's really up to them to make sure they're giving a representative sample of the product, you know, top, middle, bottom of the flowers, you know, in different areas of the grow space for each one of the batches that they have, which could be okay. like a strain they planted on a certain days, for, for instance, right? Yeah. They'll have to take that product, whether it's oil, flour, send it off for an analysis, and that's got to go to a third-party lab. So they can do internal testing, but then they'll have to confirm those results with another exterior lab as well. And this is a private, this is a private lab or this is a government lab? Yeah. So it'll be a, a private lab that's okay. been uh, certified or licensed by, yeah, by yeah. Health Canada as well. They'll, they'll run tests for things like residual solvents. If you know this is like an oil or, or some other kind of processed cannabis, make sure that the solvents are good. The solvent levels are acceptable. They'll run a, a profile test for the terpenes and the cannabinoids. I mean, this is optional, but it's very important because, you know, the, 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 the typical connoisseur wants to know, you know, what their, what their terpene profile is going to look like. Yeah. Um, you know, having the, the THC and CBD is, you know, going to be very, very important. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's a big focus on the terpenes because that seems to, to contribute a lot to the entourage effect and all the yep. uh, the additional uh, uh, effects that having the mixture of, of compounds brings. They also have to check for pesticides. 
you know, there's there's only a, a very limited list of, of, of allowed pesticides for cannabis. I believe it's in the the 20s. It's somewhere around 22 or 23. Okay. Uh, uh, mycotoxins as well. So things like you know E. coli, bacteria, ochre toxin, all these other things that can really hurt you know hurt you if you if you ingest a product that contains any of those things. Those results get sent back to the lab. If that looks out okay, you know everything everything checks off there on that certificate of analysis. That QAP will release that uh, um, that that batch to the public. And then with all the software that they have, they can actually trace a product back. So if a product goes to a consumer, something inside that uh, that product was not good, they can go all the way back to, you know, what facility that was on, what truck that was on, what day that was on, what seed it came from, and what other batches are, are surrounding that as well. Yeah. Now, are they um, are they collecting that information? Is that something that Health Canada has, uh, you know, is keeping as a database so they can do, you know, if there's a contaminant or a problem, they can quickly trace back and say, okay, where else might this product be? Right. So they are not, but the license okay. producer has to be. And that, that's part of Got what, uh, uh, you know, the, the regulations that sort of control that. We call that the record keeping part. So there are special softwares that people will generally use to, yeah. to trace everything from, from seed to sale, as they say. Yeah. Uh, and they can go backwards uh, in case that, you know, something does happen. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's, let's talk about if something happens, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, someone, an inspector comes in, finds a, a violation, finds a, you know, a, a nonconformity, inconsistency. What, what is the, what is the process or how do you deal with that as a, you know, as a business owner or as a, you know, operational manager when that stuff comes up? Yeah. So, I mean, depending on the severity of the observation that they, they have, a, a bunch of different things can happen. If, if something's severe enough, what they'll, what they'll do is they'll issue a recall, you know, for a certain batch number, probably an area where uh, the product was sold and, uh, you know, release a, a warning or advertisement out to the general public to, to get that product back into the hands of the government. And then that, again, obviously has to be destroyed. If it's something that's, you know, relatively simple, you know, the, the licensed producer has, you know, a timeline to be able to, to correct that issue. But, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's very, very serious. Licensed producers take this very seriously because if there's something that they're doing that's that's not compliant, you know they're going to get shut down, potentially shut down, get an observation, and that's going to really affect their their production line. I mean, the the regulations are very strict in terms of how everything gets labeled, how everything goes out the door. They they can trace everything back to its source. Yeah, sounds like they've got a the system is pretty well mapped out. And what are the what are the common problems or challenges that companies have? In either setting these up or, or managing over time, where where do people typically fall down or or have difficulties? Hmm, that's a good question. You know, a lot of these licensed producers they do they do want to be compliant. They are looking very much to uh, follow the rules. You know, they they know that this is the game that they have to play, and they want to stay well within the regs. But especially when someone is is just getting started for the first time, I, I think a big part of it is is they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. Uh, so so the yeah the, there's an education part and a big learning curve for for these folks to to be able to implement these things that uh, that makes them compliant. So there's a huge challenge there in just basically getting to know everything. You know, in terms of the standard operating procedures that they'll have, they've got, you know, 1500 pages of basically explaining how each job has to be done in their facility. And sometimes it can be a matter of, you know, paying attention to all of those documents basically simultaneously and being aware of their existence, which is, you know, it's pretty challenging for anyone to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, those rules are in place for a reason. Yeah. I think it's, a, you know, any early stage company, you know, faces risks, they make trade-offs, they figure out corners, they can, you know, cut slightly. Yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. But yeah, and then figure, they, I mean, uh, not that you want to cut corners on this stuff, but there is, you know, un- understanding what the both kind of, you know, kind of required levels are, as well as practical, reasonable levels that you have to get to for business point of view, understanding those, deciphering those, you know, you certainly don't want to over-engineer these processes or over, you know, you don't want to be kind of overly compliant on this stuff, especially early stage where you're, 
you've got limited resources. But if you don't know, if you're not educated and you don't have experience, you know, in the kind of the the tools to be able to make those decisions, I could see that being a challenge and potentially being an area of risk. It's huge and probably mostly financial risk and and, and the risk of losing time. You know, yeah. and, and 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 time is money. I mean, we saw a lot of these big changes also happening in this this very turbulent uh, you know regulatory environment as well. You know, they they required the product to be stored in in something like a you know a level nine vault, right? And then you know these licensed producers were installing these you know two story vaults in their facility. We you know spending hundreds of thousands of dollars making these vaults a necessary requirement. And then you know within the span of a couple of months, you know the the vault thing was uh, was a thing of the past. You didn't require a vault, just some sort of secured area to, to store the product in. Now we we work with a lot of pharmaceutical companies too, uh, you know helping them get their license for for things like processing and packaging, yeah. so that they can sort of capitalize on things like the CBD market, for instance, right? Yeah. And, you know, despite the fact that the illicit street value for cannabis is like exponentially smaller than something like, uh, uh, let's say, fentanyl. Uh So fentanyl, a kilogram of fentanyl, its illicit street value is somewhere along the lines of three million dollars. For cannabis, it's probably closer to something like 10,000. Yeah. You know, and and the requirements for storing cannabis, and even even for the facility, not just alone storage, but even even the requirements for having a room with cannabis activities in it. You have to have a camera at the door. You have to have you know key card two point access, so it's got to be like a proximity swipe and a pin pad, uh, and then a camera looking at you as you're coming in as well. It's not even about value or safety. It it just seems to be about a lot of the optics that. Yeah. Uh, no, that, well, that, that, it seems. Yeah. I mean, I, I I would imagine that a lot of this is just there because of the optics, because of kind of the the social cultural stigma of cannabis. You know, being belt and suspenders about this whole regulatory area is a way. Just I think for the for the government to you know cover all of its bases. I mean, do do you suspect that over time this stuff will sort of normalize and will will start to come down to you know kind of reasonable levels or appropriate levels on par with other kind of regulated controlled substances? Yeah, I mean, I sure hope so. I mean, the the pharmaceutical company that we we saw just the other week, you know, they had tens of kilos of stuff for from it was a precursor for methamphetamine. You know, that that was under sort of a lock and key and we told them, "Okay, well if you want to do cannabis inside the vault, you're going to have to have a locked cage." And, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to them. You know, you're going to you're have to increase your security requirements. And, you know, it's just something that, that doesn't necessarily follow a, a particular set of logic. I mean, there is logic in sort of what they're doing, but it just seems that you have to go very, very hard, you know, at, at yeah. the beginning in terms of, of keeping everything very, very tight. Yeah. As you said, belt and suspenders. Yeah. Yeah. And then I slowly, slowly over time start to loosen up these regulations. Yeah. Well, and I think figuring out how to how to navigate those changes are going to be key for the success. People that are successful in this industry are going to be, you know, knowing how to be compliant, but also be agile when it comes to, you know, changes in that. Because, you know, certainly being able to dial that down is going to be a business advantage, you know, once the regulations start to shift and, and become more reasonable. But okay. I mean, that's a great comment. There's a lot of strategy that's involved in this as well. You know, when folks want to come into the market, you know, the, the lead times for these these big what we call standard processing license, and that's like a no ceiling on how much you can produce. The lead time to get that license is somewhere between 12 and 18 months, and it's only going higher. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time. But, you know, if we recommend that perhaps someone that's looking to get into the business go with one of the micro style licenses, you know, they have a, a limit on how much they can produce, but their lead time is going to be about a, a third of that if it would be for, for the, you know, the, the standard style licenses. So there's almost some level of strategy in here as well to sort of get into the market as quickly as possible and then maybe amend or adapt once you're, once you're there and licensed. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. And, and certainly having, having a plan, <laughs> knowing, knowing <laughs> what you want to do, like what is your end game and what's your end goal and then what's the best first move on this particularly in this market when it's so, it's so dynamic. And not spreading yourself too thin too. Yeah, 
Yeah, focusing your resources. Lucas, this has been great. I've learned a lot. It's been a fun conversation. I think it's been informative for our guests. If people want to find out more about you, about Candelta, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, I mean, they can visit our website, candelta.com. We're very active on social media, Twitter, Instagram, at Candelta. Uh, you know, we love it when people drop us a message or a question. We're very happy and, and quick to respond. So you know, feel free to do it that way. Great. And I'll make sure that the links and the handles are in the show notes so people can click through and, and get those. Again, Lucas, this was great. I appreciate the time. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.